Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Africa Past and Present, the podcast about African history, culture, and politics with your hosts, Peter Lim and Peter Alegi. We are podcasting from the campus of Michigan State University in East Lansing. Today we have an exciting program for you. It features a wide-ranging discussion on press, politics, and governance in Africa with two eminent Nigerians, Michigan State journalism professor Folo Gundimu and Olabode Ibironke, a graduate student in comparative literature here at MSU. Later in the program, we'll hear about the Communications, Media, and Sport in Africa Symposium at Ohio University, the only annual conference on African sport in the world. Peter Lim and today we're interviewing Professor Folu Ogundimu, Associate Professor of Journalism at Michigan State University. With me to interview uh, Professor Folu is Bode Ibironke, who is a uh, graduate student completing actually his doctorate on the African Writers Series, a very interesting topic which we might come back to on another day. But today uh, the main issue that we're going to discuss is uh, uh, the condition, the latest trends and challenges in media in Africa, with uh, perhaps an emphasis on Nigeria. A few words about uh, Dr. Ogundimu. He's a former award-winning broadcast journalist with Nigeria's WNBC. He's the co-editor of a very interesting book, Media and Democracy in Africa, published in 2002. Was it the uh, African... Uh, institute in Uppsala, Sweden, that published that? Yes, and Rutgers. And Rutgers. Transaction Publishers. Right. And Professor Ogundimu has served as Senior Research Associate for Afrobarometer, um, a very interesting um, web-based project on public opinion based also here at MSU, and with the Center for Democracy and Development in Ghana. Uh, he has also previously served as a consultant to USAID in Zambia, for the UN Economic Commission for Africa in Ethiopia, the BBC Network Africa, and Freedom House. Uh, his current research agenda, which is quite extensive, involves comparative media systems, governance, and public communications. Perhaps we could just start, um, before we get into some of these very interesting uh, issues, Folu, we could, you could elaborate a little bit about your, your own background, uh, which I understand uh, includes uh, some time as a journalist in Nigeria. So perhaps you could just outline briefly, briefly some of your experiences in these fields. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, well, my background in the Nigerian press cuts across uh, all media. I started out in newspapers in the early 1970s. I went into magazines uh, thereafter. And after a brief visit to the, the United States in the mid-1970s as part of the State Department sponsored uh, uh, foreign journalist project. I went into broadcasting in Nigeria, uh, where uh, I did uh, work with the Western Nigeria Broadcasting Corporation and uh, the Nigerian Television Authority. And uh, in the course of my long career in uh, journalism in Nigeria, I did a variety of things, uh, from general assignment reporter to sports uh, reporting, sports broadcasting, magazine editing, uh, foreign news coverage, tours of the United States a couple of times, covering stories, the Commonwealth, you know, so many major national and international stories as well as local stories. Maybe we could 
start talking then about the media today and some of the latest trends. Um, perhaps you could comment on these trends uh, continent-wide and then maybe move into a more detailed discussion um, of Nigeria. I mean, Africa has been in the, in the uh, American media a lot lately, lately namely the uh, visit this week of President Bush to a number of African countries. But of course, uh, Africa is often portrayed in the media in various stereotypical ways. So there are a lot of very interesting questions that we could discuss about uh, media uh, portrayals, but perhaps we can focus more on the actual media in Africa. And you might want to talk, for instance, about traditional media and more, um, more um, uh, contemporary forms of media, uh, as we also talked about last week with Dr. Sean Jacobs. So there's an interesting continuity in, in the last two podcasts. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about the, um, the challenges, the problems, the advances made in, in the media in, in Africa in general. Yes. Uh, well, media range widely, as you know. Um, so if you're conceptualizing media in terms of traditional forms of media, and uh, modern forms of media, um, radio, television, newspapers, and so on. Uh, and now the internet, you know, um, all these uh, uh, vital and vibrant forms of media that exist in Africa, you know, uh, in their various forms. And they all have been very essential to the story of Africa's re revitalization or regeneration uh, over the last uh, 20 years or so. Uh, but perhaps. The real story that has been missed in the West about the revitalization of the African sector uh, since the 1990s has been the contribution and the role uh, uh, that the media, the, the, the modern sector of the media, have played in that revival of the African sector, uh, in that popular uh, revitalization of democracy in Africa. Uh, despite all the obstacles um, uh, the, uh, to the uh, uh, popularization of democracy, you know, by institutional forms of repression, institutional forms of resistance, you know, to the popularization of uh, <coughs> of, uh, of democracy, uh, the media has been part of that story of the revitalization of the media. So we've seen tremendous transformations of the media sector uh, since beginning the 1990s, especially from about 1991, you know. And um, so that's one of the real stories that we've seen as emerged in Africa. And with these transformations now, you have seen the weakening of the state sector in the media arena, in the modern media sector. Uh, you have seen the tremendous growth of the private sector in the media arena. And all of these have been largely for salutary purposes. Now, that has not come without drawbacks, you know, in many respects. Uh, we would like to see improvements in performance uh, uh, on the in the media sector, uh, but um, uh, I would like to see improvements in accountability uh, on the media sector. Uh, from, in the media sector, but nevertheless, you know, you have to be thrilled by the expansion of democratic space that you see that has been pioneered by the independent, private, enterprise-owned media sector in Africa. And uh, talking about the freedom of the press, I know that we've uh, moved, uh, we've had a great advance, you know, from the time that you were jailed 
uh, in Nigeria, for example, uh, to date. Could you talk about the connection between the freedom of the press and free society yes. in uh, Nigeria and in Africa? Yes, well, well, thank goodness, you know, we've seen tremendous advances in terms of liberalization of the politics of Africa since the 1970s and since the 1980s. Um, so the dark days of uh, authoritarian control, uh, except in very limited cases, uh, in, some, uh, in st some still problematic cases, uh, like Gambia, for instance, you know, uh, like uh, Chad, for instance, uh, like states that are undergoing um, uh, conflict situations, uh, where freedom of the press is still highly problematic. For the most part, for the most part, uh, we have seen a stability in the improvement of press freedom in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, I participate yearly, I have participated yearly for the last five years now in the Freedom House uh, Regents Review of Press Freedom in Africa. I'm participating again this year. And one of the things that you notice, for instance, has been the remarkable stability uh, in the numbers of countries that have either remained free or part, partly free in terms of their press freedom scores. When you look at their cumulative scores on the political scale, in the legal environment scale, and in the press, you know, free speech, free freedom of expression scales. And so you think of countries like Benin, for instance, you know, which were previously Marxist authoritarian regimes that foreclosed press freedom. Benin was one of those countries that President Bush visited on his Africa tour this past week. Uh, Benin, for the last five years, has been one of the freest press freedom countries in Africa. So is Ghana. So is Mauritius. President Bush didn't go to Mauritius, but so is Mauritius. So is Mali. You know, these are the countries that have the highest amounts of press freedom in Africa, in addition to Namibia, you know, South Africa, and so on. And then, but you look at Tanzania. Tanzania is not doing as well, but still partly free. Rwanda is not a free society at all, but has U.S. support, you know, so, but we can understand why Rwanda is not a uh, free society right now. What about some of the problems such as foreign ownership? I know when Louise Hugo wrote her book on mass media in sub-Saharan Africa, she highlighted problems back from the 1960s at independence of many African countries was a continuing ownership and Foreign ownership has been a big problem in the print media uh, in terms of publishing and textbooks and Heinemann and people like this that Bode has been working on. And so there has been, a, for instance, a neglect of some African language publishing by big transnational corporations who are more interested in selling to a textbook market. What about with regard to the, the press and TV and other forms of media? Um, and certainly if we look at Nigeria there, we might say that the, the, the history of the, the media and the press in, in Nigeria has gone through various phases and had to endure censorship under some military governments. And what, what can we say about, um, besides the freedom of the press, and maybe there has been a quantum leap as you, as you intimate there, what about questions of uh, ownership and um, maybe also representation of different sectors of civil society in the media? That's an excellent question, Peter. And uh, Louis Bougot was not the only person that first highlighted uh, the problem of uh, foreign ownership of the press. You know, uh, uh, Hakten and others 
in fact, had concluded, you know, that unless there was foreign ownership of the press in Africa, Africa would continue to lag behind in terms of the development of the press, you know, compared to the rest of the world. But I have news for you. You know, the surprising, so remarkable advancement of private ownership, I mean, of private development of the press in Sub-Saharan Africa over the last 15, 20 years has been led not by foreign investors, but by indigenous African capital. That is the remarkable story. Mm. Whether it's in radio you're looking at, or in television, or in newspapers, these advances have been led by indigenous African capital ownership, not foreign ownership. Yes, there is some cooperation and participation, a co collaboration with foreign owners in terms of the supply of programming, but the degree of cooperation in the uh, collaboration in the terms of the supply of programming in the broadcast sector varies by country depending on the kinds of regulatory framework that you have in place, which either limits access to foreign content programming or caps foreign content programming in either cable or over the air or satellite broadcast and so on, but mostly satellite is free. So the only way you have uh, unrestricted, unrestricted satellite, influx of satellite programming into Africa is, uh, I mean, uh, foreign uh, programming to Africa is by way of satellite, you know, uh, broadcasting. You know, so the Africans themselves have, have led the growth of private ownership. When I first started doing the, the study, for instance, of private broadcasting in, in, in Africa in 1995, there were a total of some 132 countries in private broadcasting stations in Africa by mid-1995. Now we're talking about several thousands of them. Right. Yeah, I was going to follow up on that and ask a question about the local, local language presses. Yes. I know that uh, there's a great uh, deal going on uh, with the local language presses and the newspapers, mm -hmm. especially a lot of you that we know about the Yoruba language, and of course in the North mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Uh, again, the revival of the economies and the liberalization of the politics of many of these countries has also allowed the flourishing of indigenous language presses again for the first time, unlike during the authoritarian era. That is a remarkable development. You look at a place, not just Nigeria, but you look at Ghana, for instance, okay? And you look at broadcasting in Ghana, for instance. Uh, the broadcast stations that are doing the best in Ghana are the ones that are broadcasting in the local tree and the local indigenous languages. You see, the same thing in Nigeria. The Hausa language program, the Yoruba language program, the ones that broadcast in uh, uh, Igbo language, you know, and uh, they're very popular, you know, uh, uh, what's called uh, broadcast mediums, you know, uh, media in reaching the populations. And people consume these forms of, of uh, media, and not just the colonial language media, you know. So, Sometimes we tend to overemphasize those media that broadcast or that communicate only in the colonial languages, you know, and that's a mistake. What about the role of media in politics then? And, and we saw this week with the visit of President Bush, we saw this independent African media asking tricky questions at press conferences in Ghana about AFRICOM and things like this. And 
course, the role of the media in many African countries, as you mentioned earlier, has been very important with democratization. Um, what does the situation say in, in Nigeria today? We have a new government. Um, I've looked at the web pages of a number of Nigerian newspapers today, and that's another success story, is the online newspapers in Africa, I feel. Mm -hmm. They're very effective, and uh, have, some of them have good archives. So I looked at The Guardian, and This Day, and Vanguard. Uh, there seems to be a vibrancy in these papers, but what could you say about the, the role of the media and the press in politics? Yeah. You're absolutely right, uh, Peter. Uh, there is a vibrancy uh, in the newspaper press uh, throughout Africa in general, you know, in terms of its relations to politics. But then you, the question you have to ask is, is the press an agenda setter or an agenda follower? Right. Okay. Uh, my hunch, my guess right now is, based on very limited sample studies that I've done, um, published an article on uh, the case of Nigerian press in the Okadibu uh, Senate impeachment trial, for instance, where the conclusion was actually the press was used as a lapdog of democracy rather than a watchdog of democracy, as we say. In other words, they were an agenda follower. You see, rather than agenda setter, you know. So, is the press being used or capable of being used, much more capable of being used by powerful institutional actors, political actors, stakeholders, other stakeholders in society, rather than the press itself acting as an independent, critical arbiter of society, of societal politics, you know? That's a question, you know, that remains to be seen. My guess is a lot of people will say, well, the press, you know, has not developed the sophistication sufficiently in many of these African societies to develop an independent critical voice. And most of the time, they have tended to be used, at least in the political arena, by powerful political actors. Okay? And of course, that's, that's not a, a problem limited to Africa. It's we not see, a problem. We see Rupert Murdoch at, at work we here today. We see it here in the United States. Excellently, excellent point. We see it here. So, but, but that also points to the fact that we need to improve capacity. The other thing is that sometimes there is an overwhelming focus on, po on national politics mm -hmm. rather than local politics and local level action. What is actually happening in communities and societies, there's too much glorification of the personalities that are involved in politics rather than in the conditions that give rise to political action or, or political problems or political crisis in themselves. And in de uh, developing that point, I also wonder about the, the reporting on international events, because often on my visits to Southern Africa, I've noticed the uh, closed nature of many Southern African societies, more concerned with, as you say, national issues than some very important international issues, although this may be changing. Uh, last year when I visited Nigeria, I actually found myself in a press conference at the University of Nigeria and was actually asked a few questions. So it was very interesting to see this vibrant media in action. There must have been at least a dozen newspapers representative represented at this press conference and they were firing questions left, right and centre. But um, I know you also have an interest in the history of the press and this is one of your current topics. So maybe you could elaborate a little on that. Yes, um, one of the histories of the press I'm looking at right now concerns Nigeria in particular. The role of the Azikiwe paper, West African pilot, 
in mobilizing for nationalism during the interwar years, during the World War II years, uh, between 1941 in particular, 1945. And um, I am not just looking at secondary literature, we're going back and looking at primary material, uh, cataloging for the first time and indexing uh, the West African pilot from the 1940s. It would be a great project. It is an exhaustive, long project, as, but it's an expensive project. But right now, I've only chosen one year, 1942. We've completed uh, indexing and abstracting of 1942. And we chose 1942 for some particular reasons I don't have time to go into in this podcast today. But in 1942 alone, we've cataloged well over 1,000 key stories that we've identified, you know, that we're uh, beginning to analyze, to look at the patterns of rhetoric and, uh, and uh, press criticism, uh, press support for the British uh, during the war, as well as criticism against the British, as, as well as the pressure that the pilot, and Azikiwe in his personal columns, brought to bear on the British, you know, to bring about reforms in Nigeria and eventually independence. That really brings out the multiple roles of the press. And of course, Zeke is important for Michigan State University too, because that's how the university first gets involved with Africa. We'll have to finish pretty soon, but maybe we can um, finish on recent times and some comments on uh, contemporary forms of communication, cell phones, uh, the internet, um, how are things in, in Nigeria in this regard? And maybe we might even get some feedback to this podcast from Nigeria. Yes. Well, um, when you look at Nigeria and many other sub-Saharan African countries, you see that you see that uh, the growth of the new forms of communication, cellular communication, mobile telephony, and so on, is growing the fastest, you know, uh, than any other part of the world right now. Now, in Nigeria, the systems are overloaded. Yeah. <laughs> That's a problem. The systems are overloaded. Uh, the capacity of the regulatory regimes uh, to measure up and to effectively police, if enact standards and police the vendors that are offering these services is highly limited, at least questionable in my opinion, mm. whether or not they have the technical capacity to police and regulate them effectively. You know, so that's something that we're going to have to get up to speed on you okay. know, in terms to effectively utilize and take advantage of the new technologies okay. for effective development. Well, on that challenging but interesting uh, aspect, we might bring it to an end. So I thank you both for joining me today. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. just come back from a great conference at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio called Sports in Africa. The topic this year was communication and media. The keynote speaker on Friday night was Judy McPherson, former deputy director of UNICEF and the founder president of Play Soccer, an NGO with lots of good programs in Africa. We then had a roundtable on the topic of the African Cup of Nations and I participated along with four other scholars from Africa. And the topics we covered had to do with 
media success and its consequences, both positive and negative. We're particularly interested in discussing whether the Africa Cup of Nations, as it becomes more globalized, is a symbol of Africa's progress or whether it is a mirage, a sport development holdup, if you will. On Saturday, from 8.30 to 5.30, we had a whole set of workshops and panels and discussions on a variety of topics, including media and the 2010 FIFA World Cup in South Africa, sport and new technology, particularly digital technology, the symbolism of sports, the significance of local sporting traditions like wrestling in Senegal, sport in the African diaspora, with specific examples from the Ethiopian community in the United States, issues of gender and culture, very important. We also talked about disability and sport and sport and development overall. And you will hear from some of the contributors to this conference in this segment, as well as in future podcasts. Joining me is Professor Simona Kind from the University of Wisconsin Parkside, and also a former player for the Benin national soccer team. You know, I, w I was a football player myself. Where did you play? Football, I, played, I played all the way to the national team in Benin. One of the things I would say is that uh, over the years, African countries, or those involved at least in managing the sport, managing football, have not taken care of the game. You know, there are different factors. You have the coaching. Right. Uh, I've noticed that Cameroon, for example, has a lot of German coaches. Uh, I don't know if it's because the, the, the coaches are German that the game is getting Germanized or <laughs> whatever. But, you know, what I'm saying is that, you know, the German has never been a case in terms of... Uh, Flowery flowering, football. Yeah, in, in, inspirational football. Uh, but they get the results. I mean, you're going, always going to find them in the first four or maybe first eight or whatever, but they get the results. So I don't know if that's the reason, but that's part of it, you know. Uh, but it's also because, of course, we have not been training our own coaches. You know, I'm going to give you an example. You know, Charlton has decided to go and get players in Ivory Coast, uh, in Cote d'Ivoire. But it, it, the reason for doing that is, is because they want to support the local football. But also, uh, the reason for, for, for doing that was that it is cheap and then, uh, you know, they are good, the players are good. But, you know, one basic thing is that, that, is, that they mentioned, I can't remember the manager, I think, of the team or the, the owner, I don't know, can't remember who, 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 was it, who it was exactly. But one thing that he mentioned was that in Britain, you know, the kids are not playing anymore because of all the other stuff. But one thing that I would add to that is that they teach kids how to play very quickly. You know, when they are five, six, they're always already teaching them about uh, passing and moving very so they get they get they get set in, in in different formats and plays right so they don't allow the kids to to experience to to explore by themselves and things like that and that's something that when it comes to training to, to, to training kids in Africa we should preserve you know get them get the give them the ball and let them play dribble or whatever and everything so they start loving the game they start loving themselves you know and, uh, and, and, and that's part of it, you know, for example, in the last African Cup of Nations, I could see the Ivorian team. They didn't win, but you could see when they played that they loved, they loved being there. They loved playing, you know. Beside Very the, exciting team. Yeah, beside the results, they loved playing. And then I think that, you know, when we are coaching our kids, we should maintain that by all means. Now, when it comes to winning and losing, 
well it's a game you go out there you can lose and if you lose you shouldn't feel too bad about yourself but if your life is going to depend on losing then that's not good anymore <laughs> right <laughs> <You know? laughs> well uh, it's been a very interesting conversation uh, simon you are our first former african footballer uh, on the program so uh, thank you very much well i would love to i would have loved to talk about this for a long time it's so much to talk about well maybe we'll have you on the show again another opportunity sometime soon. yes okay, okay. okay thank thanks, you thanks peter Part of the show will tell you about a couple of events taking place on campus at Michigan State you might be interested in. The first is an African Studies Brown Bag Seminar. The presenter is Adesoji Adelaja, and the title of his presentation is The New Global Economy and the Emerging Financial Services Industry in Africa. This is taking place Thursday, March 13th at 12 noon in room 201 of the International Center. The second event is part of the New African Film Series at MSU. This is free and open to the public. It's taking place on Thursday, March 13th at the Residential College's Snyder Phillips Theatre Auditorium at 7.30 p.m. And the film, again on Thursday, March 13th, is Amsterdam Diary, written, produced, and directed by Socrates Safo of Ghana. Amsterdam Diary is an example of West Africa's popular video production where over 10 new feature-length narrative videos are released each month. The movie's message is, Ghanaians tempted by the opportunities and conveniences of Europe's global modernity are better off staying at home. For more information about Africa events on the MSU campus, go to africa.msu.edu. Well, that brings today's program to a close. Please join us again in two weeks when we welcome Dave Wiley, director of the MSU African Studies Center, to discuss George W. Bush's presidential visit to Africa and U.S. foreign policy in Africa. Africa Past and Present is produced by Matrix, the Center for Humane Arts, Letters, and Social Sciences Online at Michigan State University. Our producer is Scott Pennington. Technical assistance is provided by Chris Johnson, Ryan Blyton, and Alicia Scheel. For more information about this show and to subscribe to the podcast, you can visit our website at afripod, that's A-F-R-I-P-O-D, dot A-O-D-L dot O-R-G. If you have any comments or suggestions for future shows, please send us a message at africa.podcast at matrix.msu.edu. Thanks for listening.